to the mashup, your number one source for sports gaming and everything in between. I am your host, Jake Patterson. Welcome to the show. Hope everyone enjoyed their Memorial Day. I, I know I did. That's why the show has been delayed a day this week. I was working on a lot of stuff on Memorial Day, and I was just way too tired to record. So, Wednesday episode this week. But we're just going to jump right into it with another relatively successful weekend for the Call of Duty League. I mean, Optic was, again, struck by the horrendous bug of terrible ping, which I don't know why they're the only ones having a problem when gorillas who are also in L.A. don't seem to have the same problems they do with server lag and connection issues and all that other stuff. I mean... It's clear they're they're dealing with it. You can you can watch the gameplay and see that Optic is having very bad connection issues. <laughs> and guys from the team are saying they're playing on like a hundred ping minimum. That is unplayable for casual play. If you're talking Call of Duty, a hundred ping is is unplayable for what I do. Like, professionals playing at that kind of connection problem? Straight up impossible. They should not have to play on that. I mean, I get it. These are supposed to be on LAN, and they can't be, but... You guys took, like, a month in between events to... Over a month in between events to figure out how to pull this off. The Dallas Home Series was the first online one. It started on April 10th. The LA Home Series started on March 7th. You had over a month to figure this out. How is this still an issue? And you've now had over a month of playing online. So how are these connection problems still so much of an issue for the COD League? Like, I don't get it. I seriously don't get it. But other than the connection issues, there was also some drama with the Seattle Surge. That team is a mess. They lost their own home series. They went they went 0-2. They lost to London in 5, and then they lost to Gorillas in 4, and out you go at your own, your own event. And, oh boy, some of the Twitter stuff from basically the entire team points to some massive internal problems. And given the ownership group of the Seattle Surge, I'm not surprised. (laughs) I'm not surprised at all. I mean, these are the same guys responsible for the disaster that was the Vancouver Titans. It's the same owners. So I am honestly not at all surprised that there are a bunch of internal issues with the Seattle Surge too. 
I mean, stuff on Twitter like, we all want to win, it's just not happening, it sucks. If only you knew the kind of situation we were in, like, enable coming back to the lineup and then immediately getting benched again. Like, what a disaster. (laughs) They have talent on that roster. They have good players, but someone in management is clearly and consistently screwing things up. I mean, how, how hard would it, how hard would it be to just run this team? Like, they have now botched two different esports orgs that cost them $25 million each. And that is before player contracts. So, two different teams that cost them $25 million each just to exist, and they completely botched the handling of both of them. Now, Vancouver was much worse because they didn't do anything to connect to English-speaking media, despite being based in Vancouver. And the Seattle Surge won't have that problem because pretty much the entire team is American. But still, there's clearly some chemistry issues there. There's clearly some leadership issues there. There is probably a whole lot going on with that team. And none of it is good. Absolutely none of it is good. And these guys need to just get out of esports and go back to running the Canucks. Because they're not even that great at that. So they definitely need to get out of esports because clearly they don't know what they're doing. This is adding up to be just a $50 million mistake. So, uh, yeah, they, uh, they need to just sell off those two franchises and go back to focusing on the Canucks because they don't even run them correctly or bring in someone else to help run the esports side of things because you guys suck at this. You guys absolutely suck at this because you got a whole bunch of very good, very popular players on both the Titans and the Surge. And you completely ruined both of those things. So congratulations, guys. Way to go. As far as the good from this weekend... Got a lot of good, like most of the series were pretty good. Chicago, I mean, Chicago looked absolutely dominant all weekend long. Like they were just crushing it. They never went past map four. And they swept Minnesota. Who, I don't know what the heck is going on with them because... This is now two events in a row that they've been at where they've kind of sucked. Like Florida, they lost to Toronto and New York. And New York has improved, but Toronto? And now in Seattle, they lose to Chicago. Fair. No one was beating Chicago this weekend. They were just on a roll. But Optic LA, again, they've improved, but 
you are still they're playing on god awful ping and you're a title contender yet you get swept <laughs> huh now like something's up with minnesota i don't know what but they need to they need to figure it out because wow i don't know what the heck happened to them but they don't look like title contenders in my eyes anymore. Chicago has shot back up my personal power rankings. Like, look, I know I know Atlanta wasn't there, but as dominant as they looked, they're if they play like that against Atlanta, they win. It might go to map five, but they win. And I'm very much looking forward to the Minnesota series in a couple weeks because they are going to run into Atlanta phase there. So, um, that's going to be fun. But Chicago just rolled through this weekend. And the fact that Scump just set the mood, he's like, I'm going to turn all the lights down in my room, make it feel like an event. Dude was, dude was in the zone and he popped off this weekend. Like, absolutely insane in every single series they played in like he was killing it quite literally like other than that Arklov peak search and destroy in the finals where they got kind of run into the ground they were and the domination on Gunrunner was super close but they were clearly the better team that entire series I think I think that series being close says more about London than it does about Chicago. Like, that was... I mean, that series was the Battle of the Twins. The the Twins from London, who actually look alike, and the Chicago Twins, who, again, barely look related. I know they're twins, but if I didn't know, I'd never be able to tell. Those two look absolutely nothing alike. But they definitely play like twins, because they were... They were dominating. I mean, Prestini's numbers weren't great, but he wasn't a detriment to the team in any way. And when you have that kind of talent, that's all he really needs to be. And I think once he gets used to playing with them, his numbers will go back up because he was the best player on Florida by a long shot. So, sure, he's going to get a little less spotlight in Chicago because Scump Formal and his brother are, in my opinion, all better than him. So he's the fourth, maybe the fifth guy, depending on on how well uh, Envoy is playing. Like, if they're on St. Petrograd, Envoy's better. <laughs> if they're on St. Petrograd, Envo- Envoy's the best player on the team. So... St. Petrograd, Search and Destroy, Envoy's the best player on the team. But in any other situation, he kind of rotates between two and four. And sometimes he has been the best player on the team. Like, there's been series where Scump is slipping and he'll just go nuts. Like, that's, one, that's an incredibly deep roster. Those five, like, good God. Prestini joining that team just immediately shot them back up my power rankings. And the way they played this weekend really helped their case. 
like a lot. They completely stomped Paris. They stomped Minnesota even harder. They beat New York and they beat London. As of the last couple weeks, other than Minnesota, those are all really good teams. And Minnesota is supposed to be a good team. They're just not playing like one right now. So everything Chicago did this weekend put them back to maybe the second second spot for title contention in my eyes. And I mean, I'm guessing they want that 2 million bucks because all 12 teams are going to qualify for the playoffs in August. And if you finish first, you win 2 million bucks split between the five players. That's $400,000 each. I'd be okay with an extra $400,000 for playing Call of Duty when you're probably already getting very generous contracts. Especially guys like Scump and Formal. They're, I mean, I watched The Hunt. I've seen Scump's house. Dude's rolling in it. I, I, like, I've seen what Scump's house looks like. Dude is rolling in dough. An extra four hundred grand would uh, would uh, really help him uh, be even more rich. But overall, it was a really good weekend of Call of Duty action. I really appreciate that they didn't just give up on the season and switch to online play, despite all the connection issues a lot of teams have suffered from. I mean, it's gotten better, but. They just need to fix whatever the heck is happening with Optic. <laughs> because they're actually a good team now. And if the rumors are true and they pick up Gunless, like, they're going to be even better. And he's already played with a lot of the guys from Optic anyway, so it's a perfect fit if he does end up going there. I mean, that's what all the rumors are saying. It hasn't been confirmed yet. But I think it's pretty much a given at this point, like as long as the league approves it, which I don't see why they wouldn't. He's obviously not on the Huntsman anymore. Because uh, he kind of wrecked the team's chemistry. Maybe maybe with Optic it'll be a little bit better. But we'll, we'll see where that goes. Hopefully before the Minnesota event next weekend. Because Optic aren't playing there, but... It'd be nice for him to have a roster to play on. And, I mean, Optic is going to be playing in Paris. And with this lineup of teams, other than... I mean, Atlanta and Dallas are both going to be there in Paris at the end of next month. But I could see, if, if they pick him up, they'd at least have a chance to make a run. At their, because that's their next event, so he'd have plenty of time to practice if they pick him up soon. Like the Paris event starts on June nineteenth. That's three weeks from. That's basically a month from now, <laughs> or a little less than a month. It's about three weeks. So, I hope they pick him up because that would make Optic better and. Even if they're not the true Optic anymore, because Hex and all the rest of Optic's core are gone. Call of Duty is better when the team that's calling itself Optic is good. Like, because they'd have an immediate rivalry with FaZe. They'd have a rivalry with Chicago that will get amplified if Gunless joins. 
there you go. And that's three big cities that all don't like each other. You need rivalries. You need rivalries for any any sport, esport or otherwise, to be interesting. And Gunless joining Optic Gaming LA would absolutely spark a whole lot of rivalries. Well, it would make the two that are kind of natural and already exist at a certain level even more intense. But what do you guys think? Let me know on Twitter at RealPatterson50 at Mashup underscore pod. But that's what I've got for Call of Duty. Up next, going to talk some Overwatch League. That's up next here on The Mashup. Okay, welcome back to The Mashup. Call of Duty was fun. Time for maybe the best weekend the Overwatch League has ever had. At least since season one. Like, because season two, let's be honest, was kind of boring. And season three has not been great because there's been a lot of uh, mediocrity and domination by just a couple teams. But the main melee was really fun. <laughs> both in North America and in Asia. And, like, props to Shanghai for pulling off that gigantic reverse sweep over over Seoul in the, in the finals in Asia. Because reverse sweeping in a best of four, or a first of four, like... This is the first time we can say... This is maybe the first time we can ever say this in Overwatch. The Soul Dynasty blew a 3-0 lead. They did it. They they accomplished the meme in Overwatch League. They blew a 3-0 lead. And, and it, there were a lot of really horrendous C9s, both in North America and in Asia. And overall, it was just... Like, the most fun people have had watching Overwatch since Season 1, at minimum. Like, there hasn't been this much excitement about Overwatch League since 2018. And that's a good thing. And they're going to take a couple weeks off. They're not going to come back till... I think they said June 13th? 12th, and 12th or 13th? I think they said 13th, because that's the Saturday. Which uh, makes me think they're sticking to this regional tournament for uh, regional tournament thing. Why? Why else would you wait three weeks? Like, you just have to plan another one. <laughs> because let's be honest, the tournaments were so much better than just regular play. Because once they switched to online, it felt like the individual games meant absolutely nothing. That's just a fact. Like. I can't be the only one who thought this. The individual games felt super meaningless once the online switch happened. I can't possibly be the only one who thought that. Because teams were just playing the same, like, two or three teams every week. It got kind of boring. But now that they've figured out dedicated cross-regional servers so all the North American teams can play each other, and... Depending on how things go, maybe that pushback to June 13th might allow the uh, Asian teams to come back to North America so all 20 teams can play each other. 
instead of having this this divide, this very uneven divide where it's 13 and 7 <laughs> rather than, you know, 20. <laughs> or heck, thanks Vancouver, 12 and 8. Because 12 and 8 would still be better than 13 and 7. <laughs> Two prime numbers? Are you kidding? I mean, I get this is not what Overwatch League wanted. These are not normal circumstances. But you have to admit, having eight teams in Asia and 12 in North America would have made all of this so much easier. <laughs> because numbers easily divisible by four work a whole lot better for tournament structures. Like, why do you think... Why do you think the March Madness bracket is 64? Why do you think the NBA and NHL playoffs in normal years are 16? It works so much better when the numbers divide by four. <laughs> or at least two. Because... The NHL or the NFL and Major League Baseball are both six. So having or no, they're five. But still, having your playoff numbers divide by two works a whole lot better than them only being able to divide by one and themselves. So you have to finagle it to make it work for a tournament. So hope so maybe if things go well between now and the middle of June, they'll be able to have everyone play in one giant 20-team tournament. I know the press release where they said they were taking a couple weeks off said regional tournaments to follow. So we're probably going to get three weeks of regional qualifiers again for the, uh, someone called it the June Journey, which I think is a great name. <laughs> Just because you're you're sticking with the alliteration. <laughs> or the June Jamboree. The July Jam. I mean, let's be real. That'd be pretty funny if they just stuck with alliteration. <laughs> all the way through till the end of the season when we got to actual playoffs. And you know what? Like, all of these matches were really good. I am slightly disappointed at the performance of my own team in the semis. Guys, I know they've gotten better this year, but how in the hell did you lose to the Florida Mayhem? Like, I watched that series. I've watched them play the Mayhem previously this year. The Fusion are supposed to be better than them. <laughs> The Fusion are supposed to be the best team in the league. Like, the finals of this thing was supposed to be Fusion versus Shock. <laughs> Despite the fact that the finals ended up being a 1 versus 2 matchup, most people thought it was going to be a 1 versus 3, and it was going to be Fusion versus Shock. Right? Like, that's not just me being biased. I feel like that's what the general consensus of the community was, that it was going to be Shock versus Fusion in the finals of this thing. Because they're the two best teams in North America. And the results of this tournament do not change that opinion, at least for me. The Florida Mayhem have gotten better. But they play one style. 
they are really good at it. But once people figure it out, which I don't think will take much time, at least for the good teams, they have nothing to fall back on. Because that's what happened against San Francisco. San Francisco figured out their play style and beat them at that play style. They figured out a way to break it, and they beat them. And that's how you got to do it. Like, they had a horrendous C9 on Junkertown. Right after the Mayhem had a really bad C9 on Volskaya. That was ugly. That was real ugly. We had two Charlie Niners in a single series. Oh boy, that was bad. (laughs) But... I have to say, I respect Florida Mayhem for getting rid of those god-awful McDonald's cosplay uniforms that they were using for their first two years and switching to switching to this Miami Vice color scheme they have going. Let's be real, it's a lot better. And they did improve. They are a good team. But they're still not among the two best teams in NA. They just aren't. Like, even with the two extra wins, they picked up from finishing second they're in fifth place in the entire league they're still nine and four even with the two extra wins from coming second so really are they they're still good. They're still one of the better teams in North America. And North America has been kind of trash this year. The North American teams have not been very good. But they're still one of the better teams in the region. Like, that's a fact. I can admit it. But as far as I'm concerned, the Shock and the Fusion are still the two best teams in the league. Because I'm not sold on Shanghai. They've had some ugly losses. Even with the win in the main melee, like they have had some hideous losses. And they needed a reverse sweep of Soul Dynasty. Like, that's hard to do. Especially in a first to four rather than a first to three, like a like a normal Overwatch League series. But I'm still not sold. Because they're just playing the same teams over and over and over again. And they have very little variety of opponents. Now, if they can, if we can get to a point where they can play North American teams and they still win, like if they beat the Shock or they beat the Fusion, then I'll believe. But until then, I'm still not sold. They're the best team in Asia, but I have no clue what that actually means because I don't know how good the rest of Asia is. None of them got to play to start the season. So we need to figure out, we need some way of figuring out how good the Asian teams actually are. And hopefully we'll get it before the season ends. With them taking three weeks off, maybe we'll be able to. But until then, I have no way of judging. So as of right now, I'm still declaring that the Shocker and the Fusion are the two best teams in Overwatch League. I mean, the Shocker 100% back. Like, they looked... Like, they looked like the champions they are. They find This is the first time this season. I mean, they've been slowly getting better. But this is the first time this season they truly looked like defending champions. And that's a good thing because 
they're in San Francisco, meaning there are going to be esports fans there when they can go back to having LAN events. So, honestly, I'm fine with them being good. And I want some competition for the Fusion. Because right now, I still think Grand Finals come August or whenever they happen is going to be Fusion versus Shock. Like, I think that's going to be your Grand Finals series at the end of the year. And right now, from what I've seen, I don't think that's changing. I don't think that's changing anytime soon. Unless Florida just goes on an absolute tear and beat the Fusion a couple more times. Which I don't think is going to happen. That, that right now, in May, is my prediction for the end of the season. But I'm way more excited for what the rest of the season will hold if they stick to this tournament format. Because, and they completely scrap hero pools because hero pools suck. I was a defender of them at the beginning, but after watching the games this weekend and seeing how much better they were without hero pools, I am on team get rid of them. (laughs) They do not encourage creativity like I originally thought they would. They encourage meta-slaving. And they encourage... Sloppy play because the meta changes every single week. Even if they bring hero pools back, make them last a couple weeks. Like every regional tournament, there's a different hero pool. Or just get rid of it entirely because this one was really good and you still got plenty of variety. There were a couple mirror comps. There was a lot of Echo. There was a lot of Ash, but you still saw Widow. You still saw, you still saw a little bit of May. You saw basically all of the tanks, at least the viable tanks. Like, you saw a whole bunch of Sigma, Orisa, Diva, Reinhardt, Winston. Like, that's five tanks. That's most of the tanks in the game. And after the hell that was GOATS last year, I'm okay with Zarya never getting competitive play again. Because Zarya is a boring hero to watch. So I'm 100% okay with her never getting competitive play again. And if you scrap hero pools, she's not going to get competitive play ever again. You still saw plenty of supports, a decent amount of support variety. I mean, there was a lot of Moira, but you saw Lucio, you saw Mercy, you saw Anna, you saw Bray. Like, that's enough support variety. That's that's basically all the supports in the game. You saw everyone. You didn't see all the tanks because no one wants to play Zarya because she kind of sucks. And she's super boring to play. But you basically, and you didn't see all the DPS because there's like 20 of them it feels like. But there was variety. You don't need hero pools to force variety. Because usually the good heroes just get banned out. And you have to play weird crap like playing Soldier and Tracer. And then they get banned out. So you just go back to McCree May. McCree May Double Shield. With two like bunker healers. I like seeing a lot of dive this weekend. And we got a lot of dive this weekend. And it was fun. Like, people were playing Winston Diva tank lines. Yes. Yes. More of that. Winston Diva tank lines are fun to watch. Especially if the team running them is good at it. More of this, Overwatch League. It's going to save you if you keep this up. Please, more of this. I know, and... 
Call of Duty League is doing it. So when you go back to LAN, it won't be that hard to do weekend-long tournaments. I swear. Like, Call of Duty League is doing it, and it works great. Do the same thing. You're you're owned by the same company. When you just when you get back to LAN, go back to weekend tournaments. It'll be great. Just randomly pick the teams who are going to play, like COD League does, and do that. Because it works wonders for them. It'll work wonders for you. That went way off track, but if you couldn't tell, I really enjoyed this this weekend of Overwatch action. Like, this was seriously the best they've been all season. It, it's, like, sure, there were some connection issues with the casters and the video feeds that probably wouldn't happen if we were playing on LAN. But the gameplay itself, top tier. This was some of the best Overwatch, the Overwatch League has ever had. That's just... An indisputable fact. But that's what I've got for the Overwatch League. Up next, uh, run through a few just general gaming-related news stories. But And there are some big ones, but that's up next here on The Mashup. All right, welcome back to The Mashup. And like I mentioned, there was a lot of just general gaming-related news today that I feel is worth talking about because there's some big implications that come from a lot of these stories. The big one is that Summit 1G has officially signed an exclusive deal with Twitch, which, I mean, let's be real. The dude has earned it. The dude was, I mean, it was because of Valorant drops and everything, but he kept people around and I, he was getting a lot of eyeballs because of Valorant drops, but he was also keeping people around because he was freakishly good at the game. But he's one of the top subscribe to channels on Twitch basically every month. I think he's a lot better than Dr. Disrespect. Like, I don't really like the doc. That's, that's just me. So if he has one, Summit 100% deserved an exclusive contract. Like, there's no doubt in my mind that he deserved it, especially with that just being the thing now for big streamers to get exclusive contracts with plat with platforms. Because obviously it all kicked off about a year ago, a little under a year ago, with Ninja going to Mixer and then Shroud going to Mixer like a month later. And then a few months after that, you had Courage signing with YouTube. And then you had Dr. Lupo, Tim the Tapman, and Lyric all signing with Twitch. And now, Twitch actually has the money to throw at these streamers to keep them around. They always did, but Ninja opened the floodgates. And Twitch is locking down the fort, essentially, trying to just starve Mixer out. Because if what Nate Shot says is true about Mixer not throwing out big contracts to streamers anymore, like, it's over. It's it's over for them. And it's a shame because I am very much a fan of competition. Like, I think competition is a good thing and monopolies are a bad thing. <laughs> But 
I usually watch video content on my PlayStation. So Mixer is just a straight up afterthought because it it doesn't have an app on there. And even if I was watching video content on my Xbox, Twitch is still an afterthought because I was never a big watcher of Ninja's stream. I almost never watched Shroud. And like I have a Mixer account because I have an Xbox Live account, but it's a total afterthought. Like, I never go on Mixer. I did when Ninja first signed, because I was like, okay, what does this platform have? And I signed in, because I didn't... Not like I have a huge platform or anything, but I didn't want anyone taking my like my gamer tag. In case I did ever build up a, a decent platform where people would know what my gamer tag is and try to impersonate me. Like, I, I locked up... Mixer.com backslash Dark Sniper 1230. Like, I locked that down. But I never use it. Like, I had Mixer saved in my favorites tab for maybe a week before I was like, I'm never going to watch this and just deleted it. And if you look at the numbers on Mixer outside of like Ninja and Shroud, they're not very good. And even compared to what they were doing on Twitch, like, Shroud and Ninja are not doing the same numbers on Mixer that they were doing on Twitch. They're loaded now. They're set for life. Like, I think also Nadeshot called it generational wealth. Like, they're golden. But they're also not doing... Like, the platform is doing nothing to help them. It's not promoting itself at all. And... If you look at the year-over-year growth numbers for all the major streaming platforms, including Facebook, like Facebook's year-over-year growth for their gaming streams is, I think, like 400%. (laughs) Mostly because no one watched Facebook gaming last year, and now, like, three streamers have signed Facebook gaming deals. And one of them's Ronda Rousey, so she probably draws eyeballs just by being Ronda Rousey. So their explosion in growth makes sense mostly because they went from basically nothing to decent. YouTube's year-over-year streaming growth is way up. And Twitch's is almost 100%. Twitch's is like 98% since last year. Which is nuts because Twitch was already the biggest. And they doubled in size from May from May 2019 to May 2020. Think about that. In that time, they lost the two biggest streamers on the platform to Arrival and still grew 100% basically from year to year. That's insane. Because you've had the past couple months of people not leaving their houses and probably watching a lot more content on Twitch. But that includes the entire year. You want to know Mixer's year-over-year growth number? 0.2%. When they signed Shroud and Ninja. Ninja, the guy who has been on Jimmy Fallon multiple times. 
The guy who's been on Ellen a couple times. Like, the one gamer that most mainstream audiences will at least recognize his name. They may not know who he is, but they will at least recognize the name Ninja. And then you have Shroud, who is like OG, esports, legit gamer, ridiculously good, and like old school Twitch. And your year-over-year growth is still two-tenths of a percent. Two-tenths of a percent. That is horrendous. And Microsoft is doing nothing to promote this platform at all. They're, I mean, I know they had plans to, and those have all gone out the window. Like, Shroud and Ninja have said that themselves. That they had plans to, they had, like, big plans to promote Mixer this year, but it all went down the drain. But they could at least do something. People are stuck at home, desperate for new content to watch. And even if, and like Shroud said... Mixer's goal is to not take the longtime Twitch audience away. It is to get the new audience and the new streamers who want to avoid Twitch because of oversaturation. Sure, there's an oversaturation of streamers on Twitch, but there's also an oversaturation of viewers on Twitch. So even if you're really small and you're just starting out, Twitch is still your better option because there's so many more viewers on that platform. YouTube's a better bet than going to Mixer. Because YouTube gaming, their their live their live streaming platform isn't great. There's no live tab. There's no sorting by games. So you can't look for a game you want to watch streams and discover new streamers. I I think a couple of the YouTube streamers, the big YouTube streamers like Courage and Valkyrie, have, and I think uh, Marcel has too, have all said they are working on a live tab for YouTube, like a legit live tab for YouTube gaming, which they should. Like, that should absolutely happen. But if you're a new streamer who wants to avoid the oversaturation on Twitch, your best bet right now is not Mixer. Your best bet right now is YouTube. Because people are already used to watching gaming content on YouTube. So it's not that much of a leap to go to live streaming. No one's used to watching Mixer. I'm certainly not. I, wa- I watched it for like a day and then I went back. I immediately went back to Twitch. It's just the facts. And one of the other big stories that... I haven't been able to totally confirm, but there's a lot of rumors floating around that the Call of Duty 2020 trailer is going to come out this week, which took you long enough. It's supposed to come out in November. Like, you're running out of time here, guys. You only got five months, basically, because it's usually beginning of November that COD games come out. So, like, you guys basically have, like, a week at... A week and five months. Give or take. Like five and a half months until the new COD game comes out. I know there's no E3 this year, but we kind of need a trailer so we know what we're playing when it comes out in November. 
I know all the stuff is leaked that it's probably going to be a soft reboot of the Black Ops series, which I'm okay with. I very much enjoyed the story of the Black Ops series, especially the first one. I mean, I liked Modern Warfare 2 more. I played it a lot more. But the Black Ops 1 campaign is one of my favorite Call of Duty campaigns ever. Like, Modern Warfare 2's campaign is really good. Black Ops 1's campaign is even better because you actually get to know the person you're playing as. Like, that was the first time that happened. That was the first time you could actually see what your player character looks like without waiting two more years for him to be an NPC in the sequel. Soap. Like, you knew from the beginning of the game what Alex Mason looks like. And guess what? They've used that since then. I mean, not every game did it, because Modern Warfare 2 didn't do it with your American military guy. Uh, what was his name? Ramirez. You, you didn't know what Ramirez looked like. You didn't know what uh, Roach looked like. Modern Warfare 3, you knew what Yuri looked like, but you didn't know what your guy with Delta looked like. Then, after that, it was pretty consistent. Like, you knew what your player character looked like. And that started in Black Ops 1. So, I'd be 100% okay with a reboot of the Black Ops series, especially if you planted the same Easter eggs like you did in Modern Warfare 2. I get that, it, or Modern Warfare 2019... I get that it's two different developers, but they planted so many amazing Easter eggs in Modern Warfare 2019. I was so happy. Like, the HDR level where you got the big sniper rifle, one, that's a callback to the other big sniper level in original Modern Warfare in, in Call of Duty 4. But the, the your fruit-killing skills are remarkable line. Like, it's a throwaway stupid line and in Modern Warfare 2019, it's in Arabic, so you have to have subtitles on to even get the joke. But it was perfect. Like, I play with subtitles on in Call of Duty games all the time, because they help. But Hadir saying his fruit-killing skills are remarkable in Arabic, and Alex just responding with, I heard that, was amazing. It was a tiny little thing, and then the very end of the game, all the sequel baiting in that post credit scene, like... Even more so. Like, obvious references to Ghost. Straight up referencing Soap. Like, Task Force 141, General Shepard. Like, do stuff like that. Even if you don't have... Even if you don't do the exact same story. Like, have references to it. If you completely cut Reznov because you can't get Gary Oldman, that's fine. <laughs> but have references to him. Or if you don't have the same, if you don't have the same villains, which could happen, like do a straight up soft reboot of the Black Ops timeline, and I'll be on board. Cause and Black Ops multiplayer was still fun. I still enjoyed Black Ops multiplayer. I enjoyed Modern Warfare 2's multiplayer a lot more, but Black Ops multiplayer was still really fun. So I'm good with a reboot. If that's what this year's game is, I am good with it. And if the trailer does come out this week, I will very, I will definitely break down what we saw from it on Friday's show. 
But piece of sad news is no BlizzCon this year. I I think we all kind of knew this was coming because BlizzCon's in California and California's being stupid. But no BlizzCon. Hopefully this is the final event, major event to fall victim to 2020. I mean, BlizzCon usually happens in November, so I hope that's the case. <laughs> that this is the the last event to fall victim. But rest in peace, BlizzCon 2020. Apparently they're going to do something digitally digital early next year, but it won't be the same as BlizzCon. Like, with all their failings, there are many, many failings once Activision took over. Like... BlizzCon is still a weekend-long celebration of some of the most popular franchises in the history of gaming. And we don't get it this year. Great. But I I think we all kind of knew it was coming because it is an international draw. It's going to be in California, and California is just dragging their feet on reopening stuff anyway. And it was probably smart for Blizzard to cancel this year. And it's not going to go the same way as E3, where there's basically just no more E3 since it got canceled this year. There will be a BlizzCon in 2021. I'm almost positive of that. Like, November 2021, there will be a BlizzCon. And it'll probably be really epic since we missed out on BlizzCon this year. But... One final good news story to wrap things up. The NHL has announced their return to play plan. They were the first ones, and I honestly think they'll probably be the first to come back because baseball's just screwing around. But they have a legit plan. I think it's pretty good. And so the breakdown... The regular season is over. Regular season's done. They're just going to jump straight into playoffs when they start playing again, which I'm fine with that. The season paused on March 12th. There were only three weeks of season left. That's fine with me. I think Gary Bettman said they played all but 183 regular season games. So separated between... 31 teams, 183 games is not that much. I think each team lost maybe five or six games on that. And the players have gotten their full contract salary for this year, other than like one paycheck. So this is not a money thing, which is good. And you're going to lose ticket revenue, but TV revenue will probably be through the freaking roof because you're going to get a lot of eyeballs. Especially if you're the first ones back. But they're not going to start training camps, formal training camps, until like July 1st. So it's still a ways off. Like the season's probably not going to start until the end of July, or the new format playoffs probably aren't going to start until the middle of July. Which means, depending on how the series go, someone on Twitter said the Stanley. If the Stanley Cup Finals were to go to Game 7, they could very well happen on September 20th. One, 
I'm very okay with that. <laughs> Hockey running that far into September? Good with me. Good with me. I don't think next season will start on time. Bettman said he wants to start on time, but that's absolutely insane. That's what? Five weeks? Five weeks to get the, the season started again? If if the Stanley Cup Finals Game 7 does happen and happens on September 20th, that's no time at all. Like, push the season back to the beginning of December and have the regular season or have the playoffs end in July instead of June. Have the playoffs end like the middle of July instead of the first week of June. And then you could reasonably start the season on time in 2021. You could very reasonably start the 2021 season on time if you do that. And then you're just back on track. Now, if you move to a December start every year and just decide to finish the season in the middle of July every year, I'd be okay with that too because there'd be more sports year-round and there'd be no need for the ESPYs to exist. But I can also see where that could be a problem in certain warmer markets like Vegas or the California teams or Dallas or the two Florida teams or heck, even Philly and Pittsburgh. Like, I've been to Philadelphia in July. It gets pretty warm. It gets very warm on the East Coast in the summer. Even places you don't think of as traditionally warm, they are miserable in the summer. I know, I've lived here my entire life. And playing on ice under normal circumstances where you can just play may not be the best idea. But I think starting next season on time if this is what you're going to do is absolutely insane like I will die on that hill that starting the season on time next year is absolutely insane and if you can sidestep all the crap that happens to the Flyers in November good with me (laughs) good with me but someone has a plan to come back and that'll probably light a fire under everyone else Because, sure, the NFL is just planning to come back, which I think also helped. But their season's so far off, it doesn't affect everybody else. It it just doesn't. Like, that's kind of hard to argue. But the NHL coming back will light a fire under the NBA, which will light a fire under baseball and get them to stop being stupid. Because the NBA is taking longer, but they're not being dumb about it. Baseball is actually being dumb about it. And someone on Twitter said, and I agree, irreparably damaging the sport. I mean, Manfred was already doing that, but this has just made it so much worse. Like They need to... The owners need to swallow their pride and just come up with a decent plan and stop asking the players to take massive pay cuts But hopefully, this starts a chain reaction of the other leagues just saying, hey, it's time to get back to work. Like, we can do this. Let's get back to playing and hope we can have fans in the building next season. Which, I actually think they're going to be able to. If college football is planning to have fans, and I've seen rumors on Twitter that 
WWE is planning to have fans again in July. Like, we'll have fans in the fall. We'll, we'll 100% have fans in the fall. And for what I consider the winter sports to start next season. 100%. But that's all I've got for today's show. Hope you all enjoyed it. Sorry it was a day late, but, you know, Memorial Day. But that's all I have for today. And I will talk to you guys again on Friday. See you then.